with me to Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Let's pray. Oh Christ, we come to you. You have told us in your word that a breeze reed you will not break, and a smoldering wick you will not quench. And there are many among us right now who feel that way and are coming asking for mercy, coming to you to find grace and help for their great need right now. Lord, we ask that through your word here that uh, you would comfort your people who may feel as if you are far away, who may feel as if you are silent toward them. And so we ask now, Lord, that you would speak mightily through your word and orientate us to praying to you in the midst of hard seasons and even to rejoicing. We ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Dr. Russell Moore is the president of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention. A few years ago, he wrote a book on adoption titled Adopted for Life. In it, he shares the story of how he adopted his uh, two boys from Russia. Let me uh, read his story to you. The creepiest sound I have ever heard was nothing at all. My wife, Maria, and I stood in the hallway of an orphanage somewhere in the former Soviet Union on the first of two trips required for our petition to adopt. Orphanage staff led us down a hallway to greet the two one-year-olds we hoped would become our sons. The horror wasn't the squalor and the stench, although at times we stifled the urge to vomit and weep. The horror was the quiet of it all. The place was more silent than a funeral home by night. I stopped and pulled Maria on the elbow. Why is it so quiet? This place is filled with babies. If we listen carefully enough, we, we could hear babies rocking themselves back and forth, the crib slats gently bumping against the walls. These children did not cry 
Because infants eventually learn to stop crying if no one ever responds to their calls for food, for comfort, for love. No one ever responded to these children, so they stopped. The silence continued as we entered the boys' room. Little Sergey, now Timothy, smiled at us, dancing up and down while holding the side of his crib. Little Maxim, now Benjamin, stood straight at attention, regal and czar-like. But neither boy made a sound. We read them books filled with words they couldn't understand about saying goodnight to the moon and cows jumping over the same. But there were no cries, no squeals, no groans. Every day we left at the appointed time in the way we had entered, in silence. On the last day of the trip, Maria and I arrived at the moment we had dreaded since the minute we received our adoption referral. We had to tell the boys goodbye. As by law, we had to return to the States and wait for the legal paperwork to be completed before returning to pick them up for good. After hugging and kissing them, we walked out into the quiet hallway as Maria shook with tears. And that's when we heard the scream. Little Maxim fell back in his crib and let out a guttural yell. It seemed he knew, maybe for the first time, that he would be heard. On some primal level, he knew that he had a father and mother now. I will never forget how the hairs on my arms stood up as I heard the yell. I was struck, maybe for the first time, by the force of the Abba cry passages in the New Testament. Ones I had memorized in vacation Bible school, and, as I, and I was surprised by how little I had gotten it until now. After hearing this story, I was never more grateful to hear the cries of my two young children. Yes, when our children cry, it means that something's wrong. But it also means something is very right. Our children feel loved, and they know they will be heard. The Christian life is a lot like this. Our children... Uh, feel loved and they, they, they know they'll be heard and, 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 and we too are we are God's children so when things go wrong we cry out to him as Romans 8.15 says you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry Abba, Father so it is good to cry out to God but what happens when you cry out to God and he doesn't seem to respond. What happens when God is silent and doesn't comfort you? There, is, there are seasons in the Christian life when you feel like God has forsaken you. Like God is silent toward you and opposed to you. Isaiah 45:15 says, Truly you are a God who hides himself. Why does God hide himself from us? Does that sound odd to you? Or even, does that even make you afraid? This experience, as odd and as terrifying as it sounds, is a normal Christian experience. And Psalm 13 reassures us of that. My pastor up at uh, First Presbyterian Church up in Hinckley uh, he once uh, put it very well in a sermon when he said, 
The doctrine of God's hiddenness is not a doctrine of God's absence. The doctrine of God's hiddenness is not a doctrine of God's absence. He was always in, involved in the lives of his children. So how, how is it that... How is that all true when all the evidence seems to point to the contrary in your life? Psalm 13 and many other psalms and passages throughout Scripture assure us that experiencing the hiddenness of God or the silence of God is a normal Christian experience. So if you are in a dark season today, if you feel like God has forgotten you, that your prayers are not being heard or or responded to, then I pray that Psalm 13 can be your prayer and help guide your heart verse by verse to respond rightly to God in the midst of your suffering. If you're not in a dark season, I want to give instruction to help prepare you for those times if and when God lovingly ordains for them to be in your life or another's. As a church, we don't want people to go through these things alone, right? (laughs) And so we, together, can help each other experience these hard times and hear from God when he seems silent. The main point from Psalm 13 is this. When we experience the silence of God, let us not be silent, faithless, and despairing. Let us instead cry out to God, pray for the mercy of God, Trust in the love of God and rejoice in the salvation of God. Let me just read that again here. When we experience the silence of God, let us not be silent, faithless, and despairing, but let us instead cry out to God, pray for the mercy of God, trust in the love of God, and rejoice in the steadfast love and the salvation of God. So the first piece of counsel from our text today is to cry out to God. We see this in verses 1 and 2. Look with me. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Our psalm begins with groans for relief. How long, O Lord? Again and again, we too cry out, How long, God? How long will you forget us? How long will you hide your face? Have you felt this before? I have. Many have. God feels so distant, and you pray and pray, but nothing changes. You read your Bible. Nothing changes. You sing songs at church? Nothing changes. You have fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ? Nothing changes. You are hit with trial after trial and you find yourself spiraling down and down. No help from heaven. Your soul is not at rest day or night. You just want to sleep. You just want to get away from your problems because they're always on your mind. After weeks and months maybe even years of this, you begin to think that you're not saved. Because nothing adds up. If you were saved, why would prayer be so difficult? 
If you were saved, wouldn't you get something from reading the Bible? If you were saved, wouldn't you enjoy singing worship songs? If you were saved, wouldn't, wouldn't you be overcoming sin and having power in your life to do great things for God and not be such a burden? You begin to become preoccupied with yourself and your standing before God. Verse 2 says, How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? Here we see the progression of what happens when after long seasons of darkness, after, after long seasons of darkness and, and, and you've, you have gone Godward, you've, you've been praying to Him, you begin to go inward for counsel with your own self. You retreat to introspection to begin to try to figure out what's wrong. But that doesn't help. We cannot counsel ourselves. We need help from outside of ourselves, from God Himself. Experiencing the silence of God can be perplexing and seem contradictory to what God says in His Word. It makes sense why God would take away things and maybe even people from us, but why would He remove Himself from us? It makes sense that God would take away away good things that are maybe they're becoming idols within our hearts or uh, um, but why would God take away fellowship with him isn't God's ultimate goal to have us worship him and commune with him just think of the Lord's prayer we're, we're told to pray for his kingdom to come and for his will be done and what's more in line with his will that than that we than that we abide with him and 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 that we pray to him and that that he responds to us and And he applies his words to us and directs us. God, where are you? What's so wrong with me that you won't answer? Why have you forgotten me? When someone starts to speak this way, that they feel distant from God, and it disturbs them, and and, and they're sorrowful, and they're concerned about it, that's a good sign. It's a good sign. When someone talks like that, they sound a lot like the Psalms. The same Holy Spirit who is in you is the same Spirit who is in the psalmists who wrote the lament psalms. When someone groans like Psalm 13 or Psalm 22 or Psalm 42 or so many others, you can know that that is a response you would expect from someone who has the Holy Spirit within them. It'd be more concerning if they didn't cry out to God at all, like the babies in the Russian orphanage who, without any parents to cry out to and to comfort them. And so pray the Psalms to God in the midst of dark seasons. Scripture is God's word to us. Prayer is our words to God. The Psalms, then, are the poetic union of both Scripture and prayer, of God's words to us and our words to God. God, in His sovereign wisdom, ordains that we go through suffering and and, and times of feeling distant from Him. And at the same time, God, in His mercy, 
has not left us alone, but has given us the Psalms as words to help us pour out our hearts to Him in whatever trial we may face. Isn't it so loving for our Father to give us His own words to us to pray back to Him when we are without words? There are 150 Psalms, and at least 65 of them are lament Psalms. And if that is the case, then perhaps we do need a regular diet of lament in both both our corporate and private worship. The second piece of counsel we see here from our text is to pray for the mercy of God. We see this in, in Psalm 13, verses 3 and 4. Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice, because I am shaken. We see the psalmist shift from groaning and complaining to asking God to respond to him. It's okay to groan and complain to God. But we mustn't stay there. We need to ask God for help. Remember, God hasn't forsaken you. Isaiah 49, 14-15 says, But Zion said, The Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. Can a woman forget her nursing child? That she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. You are God's child, beloved. How could he forget you? He has, in a sense, engraved, his, engraved your name on his hands. Your name written on Christ's nail-pierced hands. So pray to God with confidence that he will consider and answer you. Here's a comforting quote from Charles Spurgeon. You may fear that the Lord has passed you by. It is not so. He who counts the stars and calls them by their names is in no danger of forgetting his own children. He knows your case as thoroughly as if you were the only creature he had ever made or the only saint he had ever loved. Approach him and be at peace. When we ask God to consider and answer us, we can ask Him with confidence because we are His children and He loves us. In the Westminster Confession of Faith, we confess that God's providence toward us often includes dark seasons. Chapter 5, paragraph 5 from the modern version says, The most wise, righteous, and gracious God often leaves His own children for a time, to manifold temptations and to the corruption of their own hearts. He does this to chastise them for their past sins, to humble them by making them more aware of the hidden strength of the corruption and deceitfulness of their hearts, and then to raise them to a closer, more constant dependence upon himself for their support, to make them more watchful against all future occasions for sinning, and to fulfill various other just and holy purposes. 
This excellent statement brings out some of God's purposes for providentially hiding himself from you. He's humbling you, perhaps disciplining you, showing you the depths of your sinfulness and making you more prayerful, more watchful, more dependent on him. As you cry for God to hear you, know that he has already heard you and is answering you in ways that you might not have been asking for or have been listening for. The third piece of counsel from our text here is is to trust in the steadfast love of God. We see this from the first line of Psalm 13, verse 5. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. Here we find ballast for our tossing and anxious souls. Through the psalm, God moves us from from groaning and complaining to praying and trusting and even to rejoicing. There's there's no indication here that that David's situation all of a a sudden changed from the first few verses to this verse. That all of a sudden... Whatever he was concerned about is now God has taken it away and now he's free from that and now he's rejoicing. No, our situation may not change, but our hearts can. It changes from anxiety and despair and anger to trust and patience and childlike humility toward God. When we experience the silence of God, we are to reflect on God's steadfast love for us and trust in that love. Trust that that, that He loves you now. Trust that He will love you tomorrow, even if your enemies do not go away. The first thing to help us see the steadfast love of God toward us is to know that God's love is defined by Him and not by us. We may think that God will show us his love if he removes our enemies from us, if he takes away our trials. But God defines his love differently. We need to look for his definition of love. Otherwise, we may be looking for something that may never come. Turn with me to Genesis 39. Genesis 39, the the story of Joseph. Joseph... He sold into slavery by his brothers and, and eventually bought by Potiphar. His wife, Potiphar's wife, tries to seduce him. And uh, Joseph runs away. But when he runs away, Potiphar's wife uh, says that Joseph was lying. Uh, and, uh, and that, uh, that, well, Potiphar's wife lies saying that, that he was trying to take advantage of her. So Genesis 39 verses 19 through 21 here says, As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me. His anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and threw him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of of the, of the keeper of the prison. Amazing. The, 
The Lord showed Joseph steadfast love while he was in prison. Joseph wanted out of prison, but God's love toward him wasn't to take him out, at least not at that point. Instead, God's love was expressed in the form of favor in the eyes of the prison guard. So in your dark season, look for God's love toward you in the details of how God is daily sustaining you. Don't just wait for the dark season to pass. Look at how he is loving you today in specific, ordinary ways. God's steadfast love toward us is today in specific, ordinary ways, but it's also been there from eternity past. It has deep, deep roots, <laughs> gospel roots, roots that we should never forget, roots that remind us that God's love, it's not temporary, it's steadfast, it's ancient. So when did God's love for us begin? Ephesians 1, 4-5 says, He chose us in Him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. So when did God's love for us begin? It began before the foundation of the world. He predestined us in love. His choosing of us was not a cold act of sovereign will, but of love. And not a general love for a group of people, but a particular love. For you, for me. His love created a plan to adopt us as sons, and Christ agreed to be the sacrifice on the cross to make that happen. This love for you was further expressed and promised in the covenants of the Old Testament and fulfilled in the new covenant in Christ. When you are in the darkest day of your life, Remember the darkest day in all of history. The day that Christ expressed and demonstrated his love toward you when he died for you on the cross. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down their life for his friend. This is a love you can trust in. You can put your faith in God's faithfulness. If Christ died for you, if he united you to himself, will he not be with you and guide you and love you forever? What can separate us from the love of Christ? Nothing. Finally, the fourth piece of counsel for when we experience the silence of God is to rejoice in the salvation of God. From verses 5 and 6 we see, uh, I'll read it here. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. The psalmist trust, trusts in the, in the love of God. And from that stable, fertile soil, joy begins to grow. I have trusted in your steadfast love. He has 
dealt bountifully with me. These are past tense verbs and ideas. And so, so we're to meditate on God's past grace toward us. He has dealt bountifully with us in innumerable ways. Benefits that were all purchased for us with the death of Christ and applied to us by his Holy Spirit. Because of this, we have something to sing about, even if our dark season doesn't lift. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. In 1 Peter chapter 1, we get a wonderful picture of what it looks like to be on this journey of faith and at the same time to be enduring suffering and to be rejoicing in the midst of it. So in 1 Peter 1 here, we're going to see reasons for what God is doing in the midst of these dark seasons. Reasons that can be fuel for us to rejoice in Him. Starting in verse 3, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What an encouraging passage here. It starts here just blessing God. Bless, blessing God. Blessing Christ. Why? Because of His great mercy towards us. He has caused you to be born again to a living hope. In these dark seasons when there's no hope, there is a living hope. Why is it living? Because Christ is living. He has resurrected from the dead. And He has given us, He has bought for us an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. In your dark season, when you feel like the things around you are perishing, that, that there's so much sin within yourself and, and outside of yourself, and, and, and when you just see thing, the, the, the joys of life beginning to fade, know that you have an inheritance that will never fade, that will never perish, that will never be tainted with sin. That inheritance is kept in heaven for you. It is guarded. It is secured there for you. In your season right now when you feel very insecure, know that that is secure. And so, we also see, not only do we have an inheritance that's guarded for us, it says here, you who, you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed. 
So your inheritance is guarded, it's kept for you, and you are kept on this journey to salvation. You are being guarded. How? Through faith. I believe the NIV puts it, you are shielded with faith. And that language, I really like that language because that reminds us of the armor of God, right? (laughs) The armor of God is whose armor? It's God's armor given to us. The shield of faith given to us to protect us on this journey every step of the way. And so that faith is being sustained in you even in the midst of this dark season, even when your faith, just you don't, you don't, you're having a hard time feeling it, seeing it, expressing it. But let me tell you, that mustard seed of faith is a faith that can guard you all throughout your life unto salvation. That is guarded. That's sustained. Your faith guarded and sustained by God himself. Praise God. And so in this you rejoice, though for an, now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. The Christian life is so perplexing, isn't it? <laughs> these great joys and these great griefs <laughs> that we have to experience. But God has purpose for these various trials that grieve us so deeply. It's, see verse 7, so that the tested genuineness of your faith. God is testing the genuineness of your faith. Sometimes when you're in a dark season, you just cry to God and say, God, what are you trying to teach me? Just teach me something. Just, Just tell me what you want me to know. But sometimes it's not so much that God is trying to inform you of something new. God's trying to condition your faith. Like, how, how well does it work to go to the gym and look at the weights and say, okay, you know, I, to, to just read a book on lifting weights and look at weights. <laughs> but when you have to endure these trials, it's, it's, it's a strengthening of your faith. It's a testing of that genuineness. And so God is purifying your faith through these dark seasons. Praise God. So Psalm 13, it ends with rejoicing. But know that not every saint in a dark season is there yet. It's a journey. And rejoicing, it, it might look different than you expected and still be intermixed with, with, with tears or a lack of any feeling at all. So dear saint, where, wherever you are in Psalm 13, let the psalm guide you in your prayer. If you're not praying to God at all, cry out to Him in faith as a child. If you're groaning and complaining, know that He hears you. And then pray for His mercy to help you in your specific circumstance. And if you're fixated in the current moment and you feel insecure in God's love, remember God's ancient and steadfast love for you ultimately expressed in the death of Christ for you and daily communicated to you through his providence and provision. And finally, if you're meditating on God's steadfast love for you in Christ, respond with rejoicing. Even if the feelings aren't all there, even if you don't have all the answers, even if God still seems silent toward you, declare his greatness. For he has dealt 
so bountifully toward you in Christ. If you're experiencing the silence of God today, know and remember that Jesus Christ experienced the silence of God on the cross when he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus experienced the silence of God so that you wouldn't have to forever. Let's pray. We praise you, O Christ, for your work on the cross, that expression of great love toward us. And we ask, Jesus, that you would sustain the brothers and sisters in Christ here who feel as if they are that, that, uh, that smoldering wick, that bruised reed that at any moment they feel like they could just snap, they could just, they could just go completely out. They feel like they've got nothing left. They don't even feel like they have words left for you, Lord. Lord, sustain them. May these words be their words when they don't have any words. May they cry out to you, O Lord. Thank you that you've promised to hear them, to answer them. O Lord, we ask that you would help each one of us encourage one another, to hear from one another to help each other walk through these dark seasons of the soul. And we praise you that they will not last forever. Thank you for your good purposes toward us, even in these times. We praise you, Heavenly Father, that you have adopted us as your children. May we now rejoice in your steadfast love. In Jesus' name, amen. We read in the Gospel of Matthew that as the disciples and Jesus were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Now Jesus could have stopped there, but he didn't. He went on to say, I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. In many ways, we live between verses 28 and 29. The reality of Christ's body and blood having been given and poured out for us through his work on the cross, him living here as a man and dying and giving his life as an atoning sacrifice for our sins, and then being raised again and ascending back into heaven. And the other side of that is then waiting for that time when we will get to partake of the Lord's Supper with our risen Savior face to face. And we live in this in-between time. And this is the place where we can often become discouraged, when we can often feel like, it seems like, the Lord is far from us, perhaps even silent to us. So we come to this table... And it reminds us, this is what's true. Christ has died. Christ has been raised. Christ has ascended into heaven and is sitting at the right hand of our Father as our advocate. And one day is coming when he will return and we will see him face to face. And we will commune with him face to face. And we have given this means of grace as a reminder of that. And also 
as a means by which God can strengthen us between now and when we get to see him face to face. So if you're here this morning and you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and you have publicly professed your faith in Christ at Trinity or another church that believes that God's word is true and that the gospel is by grace alone in Christ alone, then as the elements are coming around, eat and drink and remember And also be encouraged that as we come in faith, the Holy Spirit's at work to strengthen us and prepare us to go out and to trust and to believe this week ahead. So let's pause for a moment and let's thank Him for giving us this table. Our Father in heaven, we do thank You for the Lord Jesus Christ and we thank You for His sacrifice on our behalf. We thank You that He came into this world and lived a life of perfect love and obedience to You and then offered that life in our place. Thank you, Father, that as you give us faith to believe that you connect us with Christ, that we are united to him. And we thank you for the Holy Spirit. And we pray that as we eat and drink in faith, that the Holy Spirit would take what we're doing and that you would strengthen our faith and that you would use it as a means by which we might go out and have greater trust in you this week ahead. We pray all this thanking you in Jesus' name. Amen.